Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Let's pray for a minute. And I don't want, I don't want you to religiously pray. I want you to affectionately pray. I need you to turn your hearts to him. I need, if you need to remind yourself how much he loves you, remind yourself now. Remind yourself that he gave everything, everything for you. Remind yourself that he gave a whole book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon, just to tell us how much he loved us, how he's traveled high and low across mountain and valley, crossing oceans. It says just to hear the sound of your voice. He loves his bride. And so, Father, we turn our affections to you. We love you. We glorify your name. Your perfection is staggering. You're perfect in everything you do. In all of your ways, you're perfect. We'll never get past that fact that there's, there's no sh shifting shadow in you, that you're only light, that you expose things and bring them into your goodness, into your glory. And so have your way tonight, God. This is for you. This is your house. These are your kids. This is kids' church tonight. We're your children. And so we submit to you. We submit our hearts to you. We submit our minds. The Lord said that there's people whose minds are racing tonight. And so I speak calm over your minds. He's the Prince of Peace, and the Prince of Peace is in the room. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, then just take my word for it. He's coming around. He's touching you. He's giving you his peace. So receive it. He only ministers to those he loves, and he loves everyone in here. There's others who, who said your heart is racing because you're lacking hope. And he says, you're allowed to be hopeless about anything that I'm hopeless about. He's, he's literally the hope of the nations. It's his name. It's his nature. It's who he is. It's what he does. So he gives you hope. So receive that. And we look to you, the bright morning star. We look to you, Jehovah Jireh. We look to you, Jehovah Nisi. You spread your banner of love over us. Have your way tonight. Have your way tonight. Have your way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The Lord was speaking to me this week about this thought that time is the only commodity that we can't ever have back. Time is the only thing that we can never get back. You can spend money and you can make more money. You can get more friends. You can even get more family. But time is one of those things that you can't make more of. And it's time is this this critical component that separates the ways of man from the ways of God. Time is, time is actually in the kingdom. People say God lives outside of time. I don't know if I fully believe that because time is part of the, the process of the kingdom that we can't skip. It's part of the kingdom that we can't skip and yet it's so tempting to try to skip the investment of time. And so, so many of us, including myself, we want to skip the process why? Because the requirement is time. Like, God, if, if you're sovereign, you can just make me the way you need me to be. I don't need to go through a lifetime of growth and learning. Just make me better. Make Sam complete. Make me who you're calling me to be. And what we find out is that we can cheat and manipulate basically every system that mankind has designed, but you cannot cheat the kingdom of God. There is no way around the principles that he set up. Mankind, for however old you think the earth is, 6,000 years, let's say, for 6,000 years, people have tried to run contrary to kingdom principles, and God's undefeated. He's never lost that battle. He's got a lot more time than we do. He's got a lot more patience than we do. And the Lord started speaking to me, and he said, time is often what proves his sovereignty. Time is often what proves his sovereignty. And that word sovereign, it means having supreme power and authority. When we say he is sovereign, it means he's got all the power, 
all the authority. We've talked about this for probably a couple months. Who has he given all of that power and authority to? To you, to the church. And God will put this demand on our lives, and the demand is to journey with him. He loves the journey. He loves the process. How many of you love the process? Yeah, like 30% of you. I, exactly. And the reason is because there's a time demand put on the process. Very few processes are one step, one moment, one second, one whatever. Most of the time, it's a journey. Time is one of the requirements of the kingdom that we need to be very careful that we don't try to skip or rush or help God with. How many Bible stories can you think of where people tried to help God with the process? Probably a lot. How many of those ended well? None of them. Right? Abraham going to Sarah like, hey, this promised child's taking too long. Maybe I should go see, you know, the slave woman. See if we can have a baby with her and help God with the process. Didn't work out so well. We've talked about this long, long time ago. When I say that, I've been senior pastor for a year and two months. So within the past 13 months, 14 months, we've talked about this. But there's a difference between gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit. Everyone seems to want spiritual gifts, including me. We're actually told to lustfully pursue them by Paul. But the reason why it's so universal, why everyone wants to move in the gifts, is because there's no time required. All you have to do is receive them. The, the gifts just prove that we have a really, really good dad who loves to lavish us with his goodness. And all you have to be an expert in is receiving and saying, holding out your hands, saying, yes, God, I want those things. Not everyone is as passionate about the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason is because time is required for fruit. Rachel Morley, our in-house botanist, whatever the horticulturist, plant lady, right? How many times have we heard Rachel talk about fruit growing on trees, the process of what it takes to actually get fruit to grow on trees? Well, you know what the number one thing that fruit needs? It needs time. It needs time. It's so interesting to me how many times Jesus likens the kingdom of God to either a seed or a tree or yeast. Do you know what seeds and trees and yeast all need in order to work? Time. They need time. We have three pineapple plants in my backyard. Tannis got them, I don't know, a year ago. And guess how many pineapples were on those plants the day we put them in pots in our backyard? Zero. There were zero pineapples when we put those plants in our yard. Well, today I have three, I, ha I, I pretend like they're my pineapples. Tannis has three pineapples in our backyard that she has faithfully stewarded. They're very little. They're about this big. They're really cool to look at. Well, I have three pineapples, but none of them are ripe. Are ripe. Sorry, let me rephrase this. I have three unripe pineapples. I have three pieces of fruit. Is fruit good? Both in the physical and the spiritual, fruit is good. I have three amazing pieces of fruit, and I can't eat any of them because they haven't had enough time. If I picked those pineapples when I got home from church tonight, I could eat them, but they would essentially be inedible. They're not ready yet. Even though there is fruit on the plant, it still requires time for that fruit to become good for me, to have any nutrition, to, do, to add anything to my life. The fruit right now is good. It's just not ready. Seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. These are laws of the kingdom that we can't rush and we can't skip. This is part of God's design, and God only has good things that he designs. And that means on some levels, God is wanting for us to wait for things. That doesn't sound like a very good father, does it? But he knows that fruit takes time. And you can eat any piece of unripe fruit you want. It just, you won't receive any of the benefits that he actually designed that fruit to do for you. Fruit takes time. And listen, even in the spiritual. 
Even in the spiritual, fruit takes time. The amount of people who pursue gifts without intimacy with the giver of the gifts is kind of scary to me. And this is why every year when we have kingdom living, um, we, we celebrate what the Lord does. We, you know, just like David says, I will boast about the Lord, about his goodness, about his mighty works. We see God do amazing things every year. Healing left and right. People get delivered left and right. People's lives get transformed. People learn to function and flow in the prophetic. They get words of knowledge. They start to see the spiritual things in the room. But we don't talk about any of those things until about week seven or week eight. Now, here's the good thing. I mean, the wonderful thing about God is he's so good that those things still happen even before we talk about them. But what we do is we spend seven to eight weeks talking about intimacy, the nature of God, who he is, who he says we are. Because we're so quick to want to do the stuff, but we're willing to do it without him. And that's a scary thing. We all want the stuff. And the stuff is good. We go after the stuff. You get the stuff. We operate in it. But gifts without fruit is never meant to be how we operate. And fruit takes time. One of the major principles and one of the major laws of God, laws of the kingdom, is seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, planting and stewarding and harvesting. The law of sowing and reaping cannot be violated. For however long mankind has been on the earth, we have tried to speed it up. And you know what that means? There's been a lot of unripe fruit that people have tried to eat. And when they eat unripe fruit, they say, this isn't good. What, why, why would I wait for this? This is disgusting. Not realizing it's because they jumped the gun and tried to eat it too soon that it wasn't good. This is a hard statement, but it's a biblical statement that skipping the process of seed time and harvest, it actually mocks God. Let's go to uh, Galatians 6, verse 7. It says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. It's a law, and God's laws work. Well, so why are we talking about this? The reason why we're talking about this is later on in the month of April, and we'll talk dates a little later tonight, we're going to have a church-wide 30-day fast. We did this last year for 40 days. We, we had a specific group of God targets that we went over, and I'll be explaining this over the next few weeks, what that fast is going to look like. But we use this analogy here at Reunion. We're going on this journey together as a family, and it's like we're starting at one end of the mall and we're going to the other. We're going from Dillard's to Macy's, and we're gonna go as a family, and we want everybody to come along with us, and if some of us speed ahead, that's great for them, but it's gonna leave others behind. And so we're gonna take this journey together, and you know, the past uh, two weeks, the past two times that I spoke to you all, we talked about the religious spirit. We talked about identifying it and how the truth actually breaks the religious spirit and sets people free. Why did we do that? Well, I told you, I think on both of those weeks, the reason why we're spending time talking about this is because God has a destiny and a call for this house. And where we are going, we can't bring certain things with us. And so we need to be set free. We need to walk without, in, in, without hindrance attached to what we're doing. And there's more and more things that the Lord is impressing upon us and, and giving us vision and direction for as a church, specifically for this year. And so he says, like, there are certain things that can't go with you. But the flip side of the coin is he's saying, where we're going, we also need certain things. And that's what this fast is about. There's a call and there's a requirement on this house. And it's on this family. In the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of those requirements, what that will look like moving forward. And we're going to have some very intentional, very purposeful targets about what we're going to fast for. And most of it has to do with the supernatural. He's a supernatural God. You know, if it's not supernatural ministry, what kind of ministry is it? That's something we embrace. And I, I feel like the Lord is really impressing this uh, for reunion specifically, that he, he's got a call on his corporate bride across the world to restore normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is biblical Christianity, which includes signs and wonders and healings and miracles. 
And so we're, for 30 days, we're going to press in to hear the heartbeat of the Lord. And I feel like that's part of the heartbeat and part of what we do at our ministry school at Kingdom Living. And I know that we see those things at reunion, but I feel like God is saying, like, I just want you to take some specific time and commit your heart as a family, as a church, to see those things. And he's asking us to lean on him with trust and with faith. Two heart issues. Um, Rachel, Jay, can you come up here? I want to read, while Rachel's coming up here, I want to read a passage of scripture. I don't have slides for it. But it's out of 2 Kings chapter 6. And some of you know this story, but this is the passage that the Lord gave me. And he said, you're going to fast over these things. It says, now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with, with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So it's talking about Elisha. He said, don't fear, for those who are with us are more than who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray that his eyes may be opened, that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike his people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. And then they make this dramatic escape. Um, we, have, we have a lot of... Uh, seers in the house, people who really see into the spiritual. And this is something I really value. I see sometimes, uh, but a lot of times I'll go up to Rachel or Kristen or different people and say, hey, what is God doing physically? In, I mean, physically in the spirit, spiritually, but tell me, I need to know where, he, where is he at in the room? What do we need to partner with? What do you see? What do you perceive? And uh, the Lord's just been asking me to fill my heart with all these memories, these testimonies that we have, just thousands of things. Uh, I forgot that somebody had taken, um, we started a testimony book about five years ago at Kingdom Living. It's called God's Glory Book. And every week at Kingdom Living, we would write down just these radical, crazy testimonies. And it's, you know, you become jaded even to good things. And so page after page after page, Things that should not escape my memory have escaped my memory just because it was just so intense. And we see so many uh, crazy healings, you know, body parts growing back, body parts falling off, um, teeth, permanent teeth regrowing, just insane things. But because it's so much, you just naturally forget. Like at some point, every new piece of information kicks out an old piece of information. All you young people will learn that soon. But I wanted Rachel to come up. We were just talking um, before church. We kind of have like a, a prayer time. And what we ask with everybody who's involved with the service, we say like, what do you feel like God wants to do tonight? That's what we talk about when, we, when you see us circling up. What is he on? What do you feel the Lord wants to do tonight? How do we partner? What do we need to do? And uh, I was just so overcome thinking about the goodness of, the, of God and how radically, naturally, supernatural he is. And I just said, Rachel, tell us a story. Tell us about like one time when you, see, when you saw God in this room. And I asked Rachel to come share it with you. One night during worship, when worship started, right in the middle here, there were angels circling during worship. And the more that worship went on, the more angels were joining in. And the bigger it got. And they were just glorifying the Lord. And we were joining in with heaven. And heaven was joining in with us. And when worship was coming to an end, in the middle of this big swirl of heaven, the angels, was the throne of God. That he was seated on our praises and our worship. And it was beautiful. It was filled with color. Colors we've never seen here on earth. It was heaven come in this space. Um, and so as we were just pondering those things, what is that? What actually is it that she's saying? Well, it's the exact same thing we read about in Scripture where Elisha prays and said, Lord, open my servant's eyes that he can see. And then we start to see that those with us are more than those who are against us. And uh, Pablo said when we were circled up, he said, oh, the thing about tornadoes is that they pull everything around them up. Right? You know that when we come to church, he's not coming to our throne room. We're going to his. We're seated beside him. And then Milton preached about a 30-minute sermon after that. It was awesome, where he was saying, you know, like, 
a tornado, because the nature of it is to pull everything around it up, you actually have to resist it not to get pulled up. That'll preach. It did preach. Maybe Milton will share that with us sometime. But I just think about that story that Rachel just shared, and I think about Elisha and his servant who the eyes of his art the eyes of his heart open up and he's able to see these chariots of fire. And thinking about those moments, which was the greater reality? Was the greater reality for Elisha the enemy soldiers circling them on the hill? They were very real. They could hear the the horses footsteps, they could feel the ground shake. Or was the greater reality the chariots and horses of fire? Let's do something. Let's, let's shake things up tonight. I'm going to ask a few people to stand up. And um, Is Olivia in here? Where's Olivia? Is she in the kids' church? Okay. How about Isaiah? Are you in here? How about Emma? I know you're in here. You knew you were going to get picked. Um, I, I don't know. I think you were a YWAM where you got like overalls on. Can you stand up? Yeah. If, Emma, stand up. What's your name? Ella? Ella and Emma. All right. Uh, is Angel in here? I know angels are in here, but Angel, stand up. Uh, I'm going to, the Lord told me something specifically about the people I named tonight. And uh, I saw, not Emma, I see you every day, but Ella, I saw you when I was praying. The Lord said, blonde hair, blue eyes, and some sort of blue, light blue outfit. So it's you. Um, Let me read this, and then I think there are a few other people in the room who this applies to. If this is you, I need you to stand up. Don't be be nervous. Don't be shy. No one's paying attention to you. They're paying attention to me. Um, This is part of growth that requires courage. If the Lord calls you out, if you feel a burning on you, jump in with him. He wants to take you to good places, Um, specifically for the people I named. And then if you feel this is you, stand up. But the Lord's bringing change of direction to your life. And you need your church family to, to support and cover that. But it's not unto you, it's unto him, the change that he's bringing. And there's specific things that he's dangling before you um, to see. Like I just see him dangling a carrot before you. And he's waiting to see if you're going to reach out and grab it without his permission or if you're going to wait for him to reach out and bring it to you. He's waiting to see if you honor his appearance in it, and he's, he's transforming something in your life, and you need to pay attention to it, okay? Anybody else feel like that has to do with them? Yep, stand up if that's you. Yep, don't be shy. Anybody, um, April 19th and April 26th, does that mean anything to anybody? If that's your birthday or something, stand up, yeah. Okay. Here's what we're going to do as a church family. We're going to bless them. We're going to come into agreement with what the Lord says about everybody standing up. If you're close to them, um, go ahead and lay hands on them. If you're far from them, just reach out. Pick somebody. Ask the Lord who he's highlighting to you. And even if it's from afar, just start interceding for them. You're going to lead this and then I'll close it. Just start blessing what the Lord is doing. Give them a heart to wait on him. Give them a heart to let him open doors. Go for it. 30 seconds. Go for it. Just bless what he's doing. Father, thank you. Keep praying, keep praying. I'm going to pray with you. Thank you that you're bringing a change of direction. Thank you that transformation isn't coming, but it's here. Open the doors, God. I release every single person in this room from the fear of man. I release you from striving. You don't have to reach out for that dangling carrot. He'll bring it to you. But you do need to wait. Don't eat the fruit too early. It's not quite ripe, but you have fruit. God, give them courage. Give them courage to say yes to you, whatever you're doing. Jesus, be glorified in these people. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in these guys. Let the nations be impacted by them. Let families be impacted. Let jobs and schools be impacted by them. 
We say yes to your purposes and your plans over their life. This is, this is important. This is us covering you as a church family. Yes to his purposes and yes to his plans over your lives. I felt like the Lord said, give them a safety net tonight. So you have a safety net. A whole family right here, right now, is saying yes and amen to his purposes for your life. So we bless you, God. We bless you. This is unto you. It's not to them. It's unto you, Father. And so we bless what you're doing, that your name would be glorified, Jesus. That they would be marked. Mark this group tonight. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them a hug. Get your way back to your seats. He's really good. Okay. We're going to start talking about some things that we need to bring with us because he's taking us someplace that has requirements attached. Um, some time ago, we talked a little bit about this. I want to expand upon it. And it's the idea that scripturally there's two types of anointing that are available to us. There's empowering anointing, which is anointing upon us, but there's also abiding anointing, which is the anointing from within. And I want to talk about these two things tonight because this is really important. This is actually why we're going to be fasting for about 30 days. Let's talk about the abiding anointing first. It's the anointing that comes from within. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 2. It says, As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. Abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. All believers have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit, he's called the seal of the new covenant. It seals the covenant that God has made with you and that you've made with him, and it secures and it guarantees your salvation. When the Holy Spirit is given and he seals our salvation, with him comes a measure of anointing that abides in us. This is the abiding anointing. Abiding means continuing and lasting and dwelling. And the abiding anointing is this internal anointing that affects your spirit. It affects your character. It affects your heart. And it impacts your spiritual walk with the Lord. It's a spiritual internal thing. It does not impact your body. It does not impact your soul. And the purpose of the abiding anointing is to transform you. So if anyone ever says, I've been transformed, it's because the abiding anointing has increased in their life. We talked, I think, a while back that the abiding anointing is given for revelation and transformation of your inner man. In other words, the abiding anointing is for your spiritual development. It's a spiritual anointing. It impacts your spirit. And yes, we receive it at salvation, but we have the ability to increase it. And how we increase it is through time with him. We need to understand that time is the price of the abiding anointing. Time. Time is the price for transformation. And it's the familiarity with the person of Jesus that increases this abiding anointing. Beholding him is what makes us become like him. To behold doesn't mean take a quick glimpse. It means you're staring at him. You're obsessed with him. You can't take your eyes off of him. And listen, the cost of anointing isn't just time. It's uninterrupted time. It's uninterrupted intimacy. Listen, the cost of anointing is time and not work. It's time, but it's not work, right? The abiding anointing comes from intimacy, and many people will work for the Lord and think that they have spent time with him, but that's not the same. Maybe they've co-labored with him, but working for him is very different from undistracted adoration. Jesus did all of this ministry. He, you know, it says if we could record all of the things he did, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to write them all down. But that wasn't time with the Lord. That was time ministering. It says after he was done, then he would go be with the Lord. 
He would have this undistracted time. A lot of times it would be early in the morning or late at night. He would go into the wilderness where it was just him and the Lord. It was undistracted. Uninterrupted intimacy is the price we pay for anointing. And the closer to him that I get, I found that some things require other people to be involved, but some things prohibit other people from being involved. And the abiding anointing actually prohibits other people from being involved. And let me explain that. Intimacy is one of these things that usually prohibits other people from being involved. Let's put it in the natural. If you want to be intimate with somebody, it usually means just you and them. It would be very weird to have intimacy in a public place with somebody. Well, that's how it is in the spiritual. It's not to say that other people can't be present. They just can't be an interruption to that time of devotion to him. So you can have intimacy with him at church on a Sunday night as much as you can in your prayer closet at home, as long as you're uninterrupted. And I'm not talking about announcements interrupting you or the sermon interrupting you. I'm talking about if you can actually give him fully your heart and your heart posture, then yes, you can have other people around. In Luke 10, 42, it says, Jesus says to um, Martha, he says, Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I won't take this privilege from her. She is undistracted and I won't take this what? Privilege from her. Listen, he doesn't want some of our affection. He wants all of our affection. He doesn't want your distracted affection. He doesn't want your multitasking affection. He wants all of it, undivided. And he says it's a privilege to be undistracted in your affection. It's a privilege. It's okay to work, okay? There's a bunch of hard workers in the room feeling like, oh no, what about me? All the Marthas are getting nervous. Listen, we're called to do the works of ministry. Yes, we, we are called to rest, and we rest in the promises, but in the kingdom, everything's upside down, and rest actually involves work. You can work from rest. Did you know that? We're called to do the works of ministry. Think about the, the parable of stewarding the minas or stewarding the talents, right? They involved work. The only people who weren't commended, the people who were actually uh, condemned, were those who didn't work. Did you know that work can be as spiritual as rest if it's attached to your assignment? If it's not attached to your assignment, it's called religion. It's, it's form without power. So we can't ignore work, right? We can't just go on nonstop romantic dinner, dinners with our spouses because the kids need to get fed and the dog needs to go out and the house needs to get cleaned. But my point is simply this, that the Lord requires daily times of full, undivided heart affection. That's the cost, time. Who wants more anointing? I want more anointing. Okay, it requires time. It requires beholding. And listen, if you don't give that to him, he won't turn his back on you. He won't leave you or forsake you. If you ignore the daily time with him, he still loves you. But it means you're choosing off, you're choosing to level off in your intimacy with him. You're choosing to level off. You cannot increase your abiding anointing by multitasking God. And let me put it this way. God doesn't share his time. The Bible's very clear that he doesn't share his glory and he doesn't share his time. Let me rephrase that. He says, I won't share my glory with another, but we're not another. Right? We're his beloved. He won't share his glory with another and he won't show, share his time. He is patient, he is kind, he is faithful, and his love, loving kindness goes on forever and ever and ever. But he's also holy and he's also just. And listen to this, this is scary. He's also jealous. And that almost sounds like we're, we're giving a negative attribute to God. But listen to Exodus 34. This is God himself speaking. He says, for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Did you know one of his names is jealous? If you're in kingdom living, you know this. We talk about this all the time. Anytime God tells us his name, it reveals his nature 
and his promise towards us. It tells us who he is, what he likes to do, and what he will do as a promise to us. So God is saying he is jealous. Well, what does jealous mean? It means fiercely protective or vigilant of one's rights or possessions. There is such a thing as holy jealousy. And he's jealous over you. Biblically, jealousy is almost always mentioned in the context of marriage. It's being jealous and protective of that relationship. It's a righteous jealousy of something that is your possession and your possession only. So when he says he's jealous over us, it tells us who we are. We're his beloved. He won't share his glory with anyone else. He will share it with us. And we think, oh, that, that almost sounds harsh, though. That must be Old Testament angry God. No, it's, it's New Testament happy God, too. I'm joking because I'm joking, but... It's both testaments, I promise. Second Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, for I am jealous for you with a godly or divine jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. The, the Greek word that Paul uses here for godly jealousy or divine jealousy, it means God jealousy. God jealousy, holy jealousy, a beautiful, perfect, pure jealousy. There is a form of jealousy that is pure, just like there is a form of holy frustration, holy anger. Jesus got angry quite a bit. God got angry quite a bit, and he's never sinned. So that means there must be a holy side, a pure way to be jealous, to be angry. Righteous or holy or divine jealousy, it always operates out of purity and holiness. God only does things out of purity and holiness, even his jealousy. He absolutely moves in truth that we are his possession, that we are his bride, that we are his, his beautiful one that he jealously loves, that he jealously loves. And he won't share his time. He won't share his time with you with Instagram. He won't share his time with you with Netflix. He won't share his time with you with your hobbies. He won't share his time with you with your job. Go down the list. He absolutely has demand that if you want more of him, you have to give him your time. This is a kingdom principle, and there's no way around it. You can fight all you want. He has an unlosing record when it comes to this. We say this, that we can have as much of God as we want. Paul says that you're only restrained by your own affections, by how much you can have of him. I think that's the true of this abiding anointing. If he says, I will come to you without measure, then we can have as much anointing as we want. How much do we want? So this abiding anointing, it's available to everyone, it dwells within you, and it's increased by time with him. Well, there's also something called the empowering anointing, abiding anointing, empowering anointing. The empowering anointing isn't in you, it's on you. Let's go to Acts chapter one. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which your father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The empowering anointing comes upon believers to empower them for specific works of ministry. This is where the working comes in with the empowering anointing. Specifically, the empowering anointing is for servicing or sorry, for the service and ministering to the saints. It's for others. The abiding anointing is for being, but the empowering anointing is for doing. We get these things, we, we think that it's all just one anointing, and I guess technically anointing is anointing, but there's two different banks that I think it gets stored in. The empowering anointing doesn't impact your character, and it doesn't impact your spirit like the abiding anointing does. The empowering anointing impacts your ministry. It impacts your works. In other words, it impacts what you're called to do. Now listen, all believers, raise your hand if you're a believer. 
everyone who just raised your hand, all believers have a ministry. It doesn't mean you work for a church and you're on staff and you stand on a stage and hold a microphone. Ministry, some of your ministry is a church platform. Some of your ministry is being a student. Some of your ministry is being a soccer mom. Some of your ministry is being a lawyer. Some of your ministry is being a dancer. Some of your ministry is being a retiree. You have a ministry if you're a believer. You have something that you are actually called to do. We need to get out of this mindset that says ministry has something to do with going to church. No, ministry has nothing to do with going to church. Ministry has something to do with being the church. You're the church. You have a ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry is on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you're called to do. Now apply that to your church, to your school, to your job, to your family, to the thing that you're actually anointed to do. The abiding anointing comes from within because it's planted in us and it's for us. It's for our spiritual growth, for our spiritual development. But the, uh, the empowering anointing, it's for others. It's not for us. Do you understand that the empowering anointing is upon us, but it's not about us. It's for someone else. We say this to our students in Kingdom Living, that your breakthrough isn't actually for you. It's for somebody else. Your breakthrough is never a selfish thing. Yes, it will impact you. It will be uh, a wonderful thing for your life, but it's actually for others. In that verse we just read, put it back up there, Acts uh, chapter 1. It says that the empowering anointing comes with the presence of the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when the manifest presence of the Lord comes upon you. And this is the thing about the empowering anointing. When you're done ministering, it lifts. It doesn't abide. That's the abiding anointing. The empowering anointing, it empowers for a moment and for a specific assignment. The abiding anointing, it never leaves. That's your personal history with the Lord. It's part of your spiritual DNA. It abides. But the abiding, or sorry, the empowering anointing, it comes and goes. It comes and it goes. This is why the Holy Spirit will come upon people and they'll minister with great power and with great signs and with great wonders and have all these things happen when they're in those environments and then they go home and they don't do those things. It doesn't mean they're a hypocrite. It means that there's an empowering anointing coming on them in that specific moment. And when that moment is over, when that work is done, it lifts because it's not the abiding anointing. Does this make sense? You guys okay? Okay. Things that we need in our spiritual life will be given to us, but things that we want, we have to go get. That's a spiritual principle. He'll give us what we need, but there are a lot of things that we actually have to go get. And every Christian receives the abiding anointing at salvation. It's what connects us with him. But not every Christian receives the empowering anointing because he reserves that, who are, he reserves that anointing for those who are willing to risk ministering to others. There is no empowering anointing without risk. I want to save the nations. I want to see the blind see. I want to see people get out of wheelchairs. And then they never pray for people. You cannot grow your empowering anointing without trust and risk. I'm afraid of failing. Me too. So let's go try not to fail. <laughs> God is in charge of the abiding anointing. He increases it and time is the cost. Time with him is the cost. But the empowering anointing, to some extent, it's up to you to experience the depth of it. It has to do with your asking and seeking and knocking. It has to do with your tenacity. It has to do with your pursuit of greater things. He won't force it upon you. You know, when Paul's handkerchiefs were sent off to people and it healed them of diseases and, and cast out demons, I don't think it was because Paul was sitting at home not ministering to people. I think it was the byproduct of him taking risk and ministering to others and then his empowering anointing just became so great that even the clothing on his body would heal people. Peter's shadow. I don't think Peter was a monk living in a monastery who never saw people. And one day he walked outside and his shadow healed a bunch of sick people. No, it's because he took the risk and was constantly pouring out and ministering to others that this empowering anointing just kept increasing and increasing to even the point where his shadow, when it touched demoniacs, demons were cast out. 
Cripples got out of the, off their stretchers when his shadow touched them because he took a risk, not because he was sitting at home. Should we not sit at home? No, you need to sit at home. That's the abiding anointing. But then you need to take risk. That's the empowering anointing. You can have as much of God as you want. You can also have as much anointing as you want. At Kingdom Living, at our ministry school, those of you who are in it or have been in it know this, uh, we actually designed it to have a very heavy emphasis on both the abiding anointing and the empowering anointing. In other words, um, we spend a lot of time, a lot of time every single week abiding with him. We spend a lot of uh, effort and planning to actually incorporate lavishing, lavishing him with worship as part of our daily activities. We have a ton of focus on adoration and transformation through encounter. And all of that is related to and increases our abiding anointing. But there's a flip side. We're a teach and do school. We, we don't just sit and rest in him because that's wonderful and that will fill our abiding anointing tank. But we also have to do something about it. And he puts a demand on the abiding anointing. So we put a demand on the empowering anointing at our school, right? And we took this, this mindset when we were designing it a few years ago. We said, we wanna create a school where every single day for everything we do, if God doesn't show up, we're in big trouble. People say, that's testing God. No, it's not, that's faith. We put a demand on ourselves and on our students to walk in the empowering anointing every day because this actually trains people for the works of ministry. Who is a believer? That means you have a ministry. That means you're called to the works of your ministry. That means you need the empowering anointing to increase on your life. It's how he's designed it. And people say things like, well, I'm open to the supernatural. I just never see any of that in my church or in my, my experience. That doesn't make those people lesser Christians. They're not less spiritual. It just means they don't operate in what's available in the empowering anointing. Again, that has nothing to do with their character. It has nothing to do with how much they love the Lord. It has nothing to do with their walk with the Lord. All of that is the abiding anointing. The lack of the supernatural in our lives has nothing to do with abiding with him. We may have a wonderful relationship with him and never see anything supernatural happen. It's because we're not, sorry, let me rephrase that. Unless we do the works of ministry, we won't see the supernatural in effect. You may have a wonderful relationship in your prayer closet, but no one gets healed when you pray for them. No sick are made well. No dead are raised. No blind see. No cripples are healed. Doesn't mean you love him less. It just means there's more that's available. It's more that's available, and it's not his choice. He, we know his will on it. It's our choice how much of that we want to actually lay hold of. We tell our students that the only way to fail is to not try. People are so hindered by, well, what if I pray and something doesn't happen? Well, what if you pray and something does happen? Because the course of the kingdom, the way it's set up is maybe it doesn't work for you the first time, but if you keep pressing in, if you keep asking, if you keep seeking, if you keep knocking, his word says signs will follow those who believe. His word says that God followed up and, and confirmed the word through the signs that followed. So we've created an environment for students and staff to increase their abiding anointing, but also their empowering anointing, evangelism, praying for the sick, praying for each other. We've done trainings here at Reunion. We've done prophetic trainings. We've done prayer ministry trainings. We're going to do some more of those this year. And it creates space for people to step into that empowering anointing. Let me tell you something. Coming to church and sitting here does not increase your empowering anointing. You might abide with him here, but your empowering anointing happens out, out, usually outside the four walls of the church. So we're going to have this upcoming fast. We're going to do it from April 15th to May 15th. 
and I'll be explaining more about it over the next few weeks. Uh, I'm purposefully putting it after Easter so no one says, well, I don't want to fast Easter dinner. Okay, we'll make it right after Easter. Get all fattened up and then time to fast. I'll be explaining this. But again, this is a journey we're taking from Dillard's to Macy's and no one gets left behind. What's happened, it's so sad in the Western church a lot of times, um, it's never preached from the platform, but a lot of times people will just assume that their role is to sit and listen. It, it, their role is to go to church, but that's not your role. Your role is to be the church. Don't come to church to get fed. That's a losing formula. Don't come to church to get fed. Come to church to get equipped. And that means go do the things that we talk about here. We're going to have 30 days where we are pursuing some specific things I'll be laying out. And in 2023, at the beginning of this year, the Lord was telling me that this is going to be a year that he's actually uh, inviting me to lean on him more. Uh, there's an invitation to lean on him. And that sounded great. January 1st, man, I was sitting in my bedroom and typing up notes like this sounds, I love leaning on the Lord. This sounds like a delight. Uh, and he just said like, yeah, I'm going to give you plenty of opportunity to lean on me. And ha, right? Not how I expected. I had very different ways of leaning that I thought I was going to be leaning, but I'm still thrilled about it because it just shows me that um, there's more. And there are things that I didn't know that I needed to lean on him. And he's making it very clear what those things are. Listen, fasting brings us under and sub submits us to Jesus' authority. People say, I don't like to fast. Yeah, no kidding. That's why he designed it. It's actually supposed to cost you something. It puts us under his authority. Things happen when you come under his authority. Listen, things don't happen when you fast. Things happen when you come under his authority. And fasting puts us under his authority. Fasting isn't this magical pill to intimacy, right? The physical act of not eating doesn't make us any closer to him. But the heart posture that comes along with fasting usually does. Prayer and fasting are not about telling God what to do. They're, they're not about enforcing my wishes or what I would like to see him do. Fasting is my response of making my flesh submit to my spirit. My spirit's always pursuing him. My flesh isn't. My flesh is weak. The Bible says that. Fasting is my response to coming under his authority. It's my response to saying, I will draw closer to you. And when we come closer to him, what is he already doing? It's coming closer to us. I believe that one of the benefits of fasting is it increases favor. But I don't ever want to associate fasting with earning. You don't earn his favor because you fast. He sees through the physical and looks straight to our heart. Uh, there is no earning in the kingdom. There is no striving. There is no twisting his arm. And many people think that we fast in order to get something from God. And they think it's this secret weapon that will really get God to pay attention to our prayers. But that's not what fasting is. The truth is that fasting is not about earning. It's not about striving. It's not about changing his mind. It's about finding out his mind. We don't fast to get our will. We fast to get his will. And there's a submission of the flesh. And yes, it's a physical act, but it speaks of the spiritual. It talks about this, this greater reality where we submit our desires to his desires and we come into agreement with his heart. Fasting is a physical act of faith that says, I will put my spiritual wants and desires above my physical wants and desires. It's prioritizing your spirit. It's showing him what actually matters to you. It, it's saying, my eyes are on you. My flesh is actually going to submit so that my eyes can be on you. My spiritual eyes. Hear me. Fasting is never about twisting God's arm. We can fast for specific things, absolutely. But if we think that we need to twist his arm, it's, it's kind of like saying that we have more mercy or more heart for something than God does. And that's not, that's not the case. We fast so that our physical bodies will co-labor with him. And we substitute our needs for his needs. And you get huge results. Jesus promises results from that. 
And so every time that my natural flesh, when I'm fasting, um, every time that it rises up and I realize, hey, something's not right here, I'm hungry. My body is actually craving something. What I do is I actually allow my fleshly desires to become an alarm clock to my spirit. It's like, oh, there's the alarm going off. I'm hungry. Let me turn my affection to him and his desires. It's putting our natural hunger aside and beginning to feed our spiritual hunger for him. So let's do this. We're going to close. Can you guys stand up for me? We still, ha- we still have a few weeks before we get into the actual fast. And I know that some of you in this room love the idea. You have a fasting lifestyle. And you're like, I'm already six months ahead of you. I've been fasting all this time, getting ready. Um, others maybe don't love the idea so much. And that's okay. We'll be talking about that over the next few weeks. Let's not ever fall under the assumption that fasting is hard. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he didn't say that in regard to everything but fasting. He said that including fasting. And even if you have tried fasting in the past, you know, it wasn't, wasn't really my thing, man. That's okay. You know what he loves? He loves it when we're willing to be willing. He can work with that. You don't have to be an expert when you come to him. And so what I want to just start praying as a house and as a family over the next few weeks is that we would become willing to be willing. There's something about that statement that says, like, I I know this because I've had these conversations with people where they say, I know I'm supposed to fast. I I, I just can't get myself to do it. I know I'm supposed to tithe. I just can't get myself to do it. I know I'm supposed to pray or evangelize or whatever. I just can't get myself to do it. That's very different from saying, I know I should fast. I don't want to, but I'm willing to want to. He can work with that. Hold out your hands. The Lord's going to prepare our hearts when we give him a sacrifice of praise. This is, fasting is one of the most beautiful spiritual acts we can do. And yes, it's a physical act, but our spirits are actually engaged more than our flesh. And so, Father, would you give us willing hearts? He doesn't look for perfect vessels. He looks for broken vessels. He looks for willing vessels. So make us willing vessels. Lord, we're willing to be willing. If we're not willing, we're willing to be willing. Close your eyes. If you're not quite ready to be willing, but you're willing to be willing, raise your hand really quick. Yep, keep it up. No one's looking. Keep it up high. Whole bunch of hands. Amazing. Put your hands back down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I just feel like he, he's putting a bridle on a horse right now, and he's saying, like, I got this. You don't have to do anything. I'll steer the ship. I will take you exactly where I need to take you. Just trust in me. Just trust in me. So hope of the nations, fill the room. Jesus, you're the hope of the nations. Fill the room. Touch hearts right now. Change lives right now. We're willing to be willing. Glorify your name, Jesus. God, you said that you would send ministering spirits, that you would send angels to minister to us. So angels, we give you permission. Move around the room. Deliver the things that the Father wants to give to people. Hope, joy, peace. Romans says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come, bring righteousness to people. Bring joy to people. Bring peace to people. Glorify your name, Jesus. Glorify your name. You're beautiful, Jesus. You're perfect. So we embrace you tonight. We embrace your word. We embrace your will over our lives. Let transformation come because of the abiding anointing, the, the gazing into your eyes. One thing I've asked of the Lord, one thing I, that I seek, that I would sit in the house of the Lord, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord, that I would behold the beauty of the Lord. So we behold you tonight. We love you, Jesus. We glorify your name. You're perfect and true. You're wonderful and just. You're holy. You're jealous for us. So you can have us. You can have us. 
We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.